So today, we're going to continue in this line of thinking through really what, what God has established for us as a church. If you're new, um, we ha- we've been going through a series uh, where we're, we're talking about who we are as a church, really talking about uh, what we believe and, and what shapes us as, as a church. And Last week, we talked about the gospel, because the gospel is the center of who we are. It is really the defining characteristic. You know, if, if we are a bicycle wheel, the, the gospel is at the center, holding all the spokes. No aspect of who we are as individuals or as, as a corporate body can be separated from that center. And in fact, if you do separate a spoke, things get weird and out of alignment and eventually they break. So we're very passionate about this gospel. Um, and today we're going to talk about really there's some implications that, that come from the gospel. You know, if the gospel is primarily, I said last week, good news, good, uh, not just a testimony or information, but it's, it's, it's a story, it's a history that you receive, that you believe on which you stand and which you hold to, then, then once you've done those things, once you've begun to receive, accept, believe, hold to these things, there, there's some things that naturally ought to work themselves out. And so um, we're gonna talk about these, I'm describing them as five pillars. If the gospel is the foundation upon which we're building this house, then these things are five pillars that Grace Covenant Church as a body, and really every nation, are, are the family of churches that we're associated with, that we, we stand on or we build on. But before we do that, let's go ahead and uh, pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you've expressed that love uniquely in your gospel. I thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, to be the provision for our sin, Lord, to, to take on the wages of our sin, to, to bear the punishment of our sin. And I thank you that, that he not only did that, but he rose again from death, having paid that penalty, and he overcame death. He overcame sin at the cross and overcome, came the grave by coming out of the tomb. And because of that, we can stand before you and we can even pray to you I thank you, God, that you have enabled us to come to you, not as just participants or members, but as sons and daughters. And uh, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would come to appreciate and know you more deeply. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, give me one quick second because I have lost my notes. Um, Happens to the best of us. Okay, I found them. Great. It's kind of important. <clears throat> so, I, I mentioned that there are these five pillars that, that we really believe that, that God gives us as an outworking of the gospel. Now, what we're not saying is that, that we, we have the gospel and we, we step away from the gospel. A lot of times when Christians want to grow deeper, and I, and I say that quotes around it, uh, what they mean is, okay, I've learned about the gospel, but, but let me go on to these other bigger, better things. And, and let me tell you, again, you can never have a wheel that doesn't have a center. 
And you can never have a, well, you can't have a building, and Jesus talks about it. You can have a building without a foundation, but it's unstable and dangerous. And we will never, as a church, move away from the gospel. If we're going to go deeper, we're going to go deeper into the gospel. And so we're going to look at these five pillars, and these five pillars are going to be founded on different aspects of the gospel. The good news that, that, of what God has done and, and the, the outworking of that in our own lives. The five uh, things that we're talking about, if you've ever been in the Life at Grace Live or uh, our breakfast, much like our, our new members, you've heard them. There are five values of lordship, evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, and family. Now, there may be other things that are important, and, and maybe you've come from other traditions where other aspects of, of the gospel lived out are expressed as values, but these are really the five things here that we're building upon. They're the five things on which we will put programs and ministry and life and encouragement. And that isn't to say that there aren't other things that are important, but these are the kind of, this is the framework through which we put everything. You know, if these are five cubbies and you've got this thing over here, you gotta find it one of those five spots. So, the first one we wanna talk about is Lordship. Now, I'm going to go to Matthew. We're going to be reading throughout different parts of the Bible. Normally, we, we would stand together and read, but for the sake of time, we're just going to, I'm going to read it out loud, and you can follow along on the, on the screen. So, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus is speaking, and he says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We're just starting out strong. <laughs> Promise is going to get good. The, the good news, yes, it is still good. It is good. The good news about Jesus is that we believe and we hold fast to this reality that, that God has done something in history for our salvation. And as a result, there's a response that, that we have to have. Jesus says that not everyone who says, hey, I'm following you, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, is actually following. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian in the sense that they are followers of Christ is an actual Christian. And, and this, this text gives me pause because he says, you know, you can do some pretty amazing things and you can say that you've done some pretty amazing things. You know, Lord, Lord, haven't I been in Bible studies since I was a small child? Lord, Lord, haven't I led on the worship team since I was given a, a, a guitar or a piano? Lord, Lord, haven't I ushered since I was... I was first able to hold a communion cup. And he says, you know what? Not everyone who does all these things is of me. He says, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that's the one who will enter the kingdom of heaven. So if, if, if he's saying, okay, the one who does the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven and, and the, the disciple is saying, but I'm doing these things that you could kind of describe as, as the will of the Father, then what do you mean, Jesus? You know, prophesying, 
casting out demons, that's kind of the will of the Father. What, what specifically are you referring to? And now Jesus had been, this is the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and so he'd been talking about what it looks like, the ethics of, of Christianity, the ethics of the kingdom of heaven, what it looks like to live this out. But in John chapter 14, we get this picture of, of how these, these ethical behaviors are tied to a particular affection. So John chapter 14, sorry, rather, chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He attaches this idea of love to obeying his commandments. There is a connection between true obedience, true lordship, as we would say, and, and the love of God. They can't be disconnected. You can't love God and not obey him, and you can't truly obey him without loving him. And, and you could describe part of the walk of, of faith, the walk of, of being a Christian as trying to find, find continuity and integrity between your love and your obedience. Sometimes in your life, your obedience is, is at a 10, but your love is at a zero. And, and the goal is to, to, okay, let's get back to the kind of obedience that, that fills us with love. And, and sometimes we can feel like, I love God, but, but there are areas of our life where the obedience is not quite there. And, and the goal in that moment is to let our love motivate us to a kind of obedience that reflects real, true love. You know, you know it's, it's one thing for me to say, I, I love my child, and it's another thing for me to provide for my child. And you can say you love your child, but if you don't do things that reflect that love, it calls your love into question. And, and if we say, Jesus, you are Lord, but we don't have the affections and the behavior that support that love, it calls that love into question. He, he connects love, affection, and action Real love and affection should result in obedience. I mean, sometimes I talk about this in terms of sin when you think about, okay, Jesus, how do we overcome sin? And the answer can't always just be, well, you know, white knuckle, just try your best not to sin. Because if you've ever seen a little, I mean, they've even done uh, studies with little kids and marshmallows and, and finding out what it looks like to delay gratification. It's really kind of cute. You can look it up. Um, it's funny because they'll, they'll eye it, they'll touch it, they'll consider it, they'll look at it. And, and the reality is it's very difficult if, if all you're trying to do is to not sin. And there was this, this preacher a while back, a long while back, who talked about, he, he preached a sermon called, the title was The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. That's a title. <laughs> and the point was, if you want to fight sin, if you want to move from disobedience to obedience, you don't want to just focus on trying harder to obey and trying harder not to disobey, but you want to pursue a greater affection. For those of us who have, who've been married or, or you know, really gotten interested in someone else, there's an interesting thing that happens when you're, you have some affections for a person. You start to, you know, take showers every day, men. And you get a job. And, and you, you know, you, you stop leaving stuff every, you, you change your behavior. But it isn't just this white knuckle, I'm going to change my behavior. It's, oh, she's, she's pretty. There's, a, there's, a, there's an unction there. 
that moves you to behave differently. And Jesus says that if, if I'm really Lord, if I'm really the one that, that you call Lord, that you want to submit your life to, then, then that submission, that it admittance that I am your Lord, it should result in some different affections and behaviors. Lordship speaks to the reality that, that we know who our Lord is, who our God is, and whom we are to love. The pillar of lordship speaks to two things. The fact that, that we love Jesus, ultimately. Now, you love, we love everyone, certainly, and, and God says in some places to love your enemy, love your neighbor, love your family. We, we love everyone, but there's an ultimate kind of love, a, a life devotion kind of love that we give just as beings to one thing or one person. We are made to worship. That's that worship kind of love. And, and, and we, before Christ, give it to the wrong things, whether it's a relationship or it's a career or it's a person or it's ourself. But when we, when we recognize this idea of lordship, one of the things we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, you're my love. Jesus, you're the one that I'm devoted to. Jesus, you're the one that I love. And the second thing is that our love for Jesus means that we will obey him. Again, you can't have him as savior and not have him as Lord. Jesus never made that of option available to him, to us. He calls us to obey. And I mean, to the point that we talked about a few weeks back, that, that if we want to follow him, if we want to come under his lordship, if we want him to be our master, we don't just obey in a kind of, okay, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do that. He says, no, come, pick up your cross daily and die. It's the kind of obedience and faithfulness that leads to radical lifestyle changes. But again, it's the kind of radical lifestyle changes that we're happy to make because we love him. In the same way that, you know, you stop doing this bad thing because this girl who's really pretty and likes you wants you to do that. And you're like, I'll make this life change. Now, I'm not saying don't pursue marriage and expect your husband or wife to just change for you. Don't do that. Love them where they are. But love ought to, ought to spur us on towards action. And if Jesus is our Lord and we love him, then we'll tell others about him. So the first one was lordship, and the second one is evangelism. In Acts chapter 2, we see at, at Pentecost that the believers have, have been waiting for the Holy Spirit who has been promised by Jesus. Jesus has died, he's, he's risen again, and he's actually told the disciples, I'm, I'm, you're gonna do things, but I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so in Acts chapter two, the, the Holy Spirit comes and, and he, he, it's described that he falls on them and there are tongues of fire and they're speaking in different languages and it's, it's kind of a tumultuous, crazy moment. And, and so they start speaking and praising God in various languages, <coughs> excuse me, and the people around them or some of the people around look at these, these, these knuckleheads, it seems like, and says, oh, they're, they're drunk. And, and Peter, who's kind of been established as the leader of this new body, this new faith, responds to them, and he says, guys, uh, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour. Of the day. It's only nine in the morning, guys. I know that, that they're not drunk. They're not getting crazy. And he begins to explain from scripture what has happened and what is happening. 
that, that it was promised that this Holy Spirit would, would be poured out on, on the believers, that they would be empowered for the works of ministry. And then he says in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Oh, that's a sermon. He says, not only are they not drunk and, and crazy, but, but let me tell you, this Jesus was promised and, and he was prepared, this Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And again, he goes down to 36 and says, guys, listen, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now this is bold language. This is not just me talking 2,000 years later in the United States where we have freedom of religion to a bunch of people who have relationship with God maybe, but very few of you are, are going to really have a conversation with me and, and, and disagree with me to the point of trying to kill me. Peter is talking to people who literally, some of whom were at the crucifixion, at the execution of Jesus Christ. Right, this is some bold speaking. Now Jesus did rise from the dead, but, but there's a possibility that he could go the same way. And in fact, he, he really does, according to church tradition, he gets crucified upside down. Now, what's amazing is that this man is the same one who went before the crucifixion and said, no, 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 I don't know that guy. Jesus gets arrested and, and someone comes up to him and says, hey, you're one of the followers of that Galilean guy. And he, no, I'm not. It happens the second time. Hey, I know you, you were with that Jesus guy, weren't you? You were following him. And no, I wasn't. To the point that this young, it says, servant comes and hey, you know, Oh, you know, you followed Jesus. And he cusses her out. That same Peter is now preaching so boldly as to say, you crucified Christ. <clears throat> what has happened? What has happened? This is a transformation unlike any other. He's testifying to God's salvation in a way that's, it's, it's, Strange, apart from the reality that, that Jesus has done something by rising from the dead and, and proving that he's God and giving him a new motivation. C.S. Lewis touches on this diff differently. If you don't know, C.S. Lewis is this, he's a Christian, he was a Christian thinker, um, pretty amazing person. He wrote a lot of books, Chronicles of Narnia, were some of his fiction uh, allegorical Christian novels, but he, he wrote a lot of books about Christianity. And in one of those, he says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because praise is not merely, doesn't merely express, but it completes the enjoyment. It's the appointed consummation. It is not our compliment, sorry, it is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, you know, we don't just express appreciation and joy because um, that's the appropriate response, but because our enjoyment isn't complete until we respond. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author, perhaps in our time, a new television series, and not to be able to tell how good it is. 
to come suddenly at a turn of the road up some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people you're with care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism, he's talking about the Westminster Catechism. The Scotch Catechism says that a man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy God is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. So C.S. Lewis is trying to touch on this reality that, that when we really appreciate God for who he is, that appreciation isn't complete. That enjoyment isn't complete until we, we share it. That this is what evangelism is. I, I, I feel like we've, we've seen Billy Graham and we've seen other people. We've seen maybe two ways to live or, or we've heard someone talk about the, the God test and we think, oh, I, can, I can't do that. You know, I can't talk to strangers about Jesus. I've heard comedians talk, you know, talk about people evangelizing, you know, can I tell you about Jesus? And he says, oh, I really wish you wouldn't. And there's this kind of awkwardness that we feel. But, but the reality is that if we would, if we would pursue Jesus and, and see this gospel reality expressed like Peter does, where, where it's a reality. It's not just some sort of thing in, in a book that we're like, yes, that's, that's an important thing. But no, it's something where, that happened and has bearing on our life, then our enjoyment and our appreciation of it isn't complete until we're able to share it with others. And, and when, we, when we move it from, from this kind of, okay, well, this, it's, a, it's a four-step process, I'm going to start a conversation, I'm gonna ask a question, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell the story, that, which is a good four-step process. We, we teach that when we talk about evangelism. But when we take that and, and, and we get under it and say, you know what? God is so good. God is, he's so good. He took me from, from being a, 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 a moral, um, semi-moral uh, person who, who kind of followed him, kind of didn't, uh, and, and really didn't have any sort of moorings in, in, in an appreciation from God to, to changing my heart and giving me a, a desire and a love for him that changed my life, took me from being angry to being not angry, took me from being uh, not devoted to be de- devoted, took me from being selfish and, and, and slowly making me not selfish. When we, be, we begin to look at our life and appreciate, as Peter did, what God has done, all of a sudden evangelism comes out. And you see it in the lives of new believers because they don't care. They realize in, in sometimes a much more vivid way than we do who have stepped away from it that I was, I was destined for hell. I was, on, I was on the road to damnation. And God scooped me up and, and it says in, the, in, in Colossians, I believe, <laughs> that he transferred me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. And, and it's not just words, but it's a reality that they feel. When that happens, evangelism happens. Sharing happens. Expressing this, this Christ, he's real. If we love Jesus and if we enjoy him, we will share him. Now that, that, that 
raises an, an, an interesting question. You know, if we're not sharing, what do we feel about Jesus? And I don't say that to point a finger because I got three pointing back at me. But, but the good news is, is that Jesus is enjoyable. Sometimes we come to church and we're like, I gotta, I gotta do church because I'm a good Christian. I'm a small group leader. And smile. Hey, so good to see you. I'm dying on the inside. And, I'm not dying on the inside, don't worry. Someone's at awe. And we think, I have to, and, and sure, some days you have to. Some days you, you, you like to, to do church, you like to do life, some days you don't. But the good news is that God is good. And we don't have to fake it or make it up, but we, we get to mine it out. And, and family, sometimes God allows us to go through seasons where we do have to mine out his goodness, we mine it out of his word. We mine it out of prayer. We mine it out of our relationships. But God is good. All the time, that's right. And all the time, God is good. And, and it says, in, and I go to this psalm often, Psalm 73, he says, you know, my flesh may fail me. My life may fail me, but God, you are my portion. And sometimes we can forget that and we think, you know, this is my portion. This is my thing. This is my provision. And God will allow us to go through seasons where we are like, oh, where did my, my, where did my portion go? Where did my provision go? And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about anything that we trust that isn't God. And he, he will allow us to go through that because he's good enough to bring us to a place where we can come and receive him and accept him as the enjoyable, glorified God. Disciple, or not discipleship, we'll get to that. Evangelism happens when, when we enjoy God. So if you need to get back to your love for Jesus, my encouragement to you is to get into word, read the Psalms. The psalmist is always trying to get back to God. Or he's getting back to God. You know, the latter Psalms, praise God, praise God. The earlier Psalms, God help me, please help me, please help me. But he's always, he's warring to get that affection. And, and if, you, if you have that affection or if, if you're trying to pursue, uh, pursue that affection, my second question is, um, who do you need to share this good news, good news with? Who do you need to share this good news with? There's someone in your life. Maybe it's the waitress or waiter uh, that, that you meet when you go out to lunch after church. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. When I ask you that, I'm not asking you to be weird. I'm not asking you to go up and say, you know, this Jesus whom you crucified, it says in Acts 2.36, he's Lord. What do you want to do about that? No, I, no I'm saying that you can, you can give, we talk about giving a two-minute testimony. You can think about your life, about how God took you from being one, one type of person before Christ to the moment that you, you realized who he was, you received and accepted that gospel message, and then how God is progressively shifting and sh shaping your life now. And you can condense that in down into two minutes. You can get with Pastor Jermaine or myself or, or one of the leaders and say, okay, can I share with you my testimony? And you can practice it. And then you can share that testimony in a pretty non-weird way with people who need to hear this message. It's not hard. But it's important that we, we pursue that. And, I, and I'm with you, family. I'm, I'm with you. 
This is something that I am working toward as well. All of these are things that I'm working towards as well. We're all in process, so don't feel bad if, if you're at zero. Zero means there's, you have only up to go. You know, all the opportunities. Being willing to share this good news is just really one aspect of being a follower of Jesus Christ. We talked about lordship, we've talked about evangelism, and now let's talk about discipleship. Matthew 28 says this, verses 18 through 20, Jesus is speaking, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promises that he'll be with them. He says all authority has been given to them and then he gives them this commission, this mission. Go and make disciples. And he gives basically two bullet points of what that looks like. Baptizing them, which isn't just dunking them, but it's, it's dunking them, or not dunking them, or, you know, baptizing them for the sake of, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, for, for the sake of expressing the fact that they are part of the church body, part of the church community, that they've died with Christ, that they're identified with his death and his resurrection, that's point one, and then teaching them what? To observe all that I've commanded. Discipleship means that we don't just get to make stuff up. We don't just get to be, I'm a Christian. Okay, well, you know, how do you handle your money? How I want to. Okay, well, what about the stuff that Jesus talks about and, you know, the Old Testament talks about and how God wants to do? Well, I mean, in that case, I'm an Eddian. I follow Eddie. I'm a Selfian. I follow myself. When it comes to Sundays, though, I'm a Christian because I follow Christ to church. But then I follow myself to lunch. Being a disciple means that we follow Jesus. It's as simple as that and as hard as that. And there are areas of your life where you you will gladly say, I am a Christian. And usually those are the areas where you don't need to work on things, but there are areas that you're thinking about right now where you're like, "Mm." And, and God is calling you not just to be part of the body, but to observe do obey all that he's commanded. Not observe like in a Petri dish, like, oh, look, the commandments of God. That's neat, and then you put them down. No, observation in the sense of obedience. If you love me, again, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will what? Memorize my commands. No, you will do, you will obey my commands. Is your belief in Jesus Christ reflected in your behavior? Is your belief reflected in your behavior? You know, uh, um, I, when I was a child, a young man, uh, I had a bottle rocket. With some friends had some bottle rockets. And we thought it'd be fun to try to shoot them down the road. Instead of up, we were like straight. And my friend lived on a, on a um, T. His house was right here. And so we, we set the bottle rockets on the, the, the curb. And we didn't think anything bad could happen here. Um, until someone who will remain unnamed, it was me, uh, <laughs> lit the bottle rocket, stood up, tapped the bottle rocket with my toe, and it hit the house. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> 
I feel like there's a statute of limitations. It's okay. You, you can't get me now. It happened. After that, I had some different beliefs and behaviors as it related to bottle rockets. My, my newfound belief in, in the, the necessity to carefully manage their, their, their velocity and destination meant that I, I didn't do silly stuff like that again. And that's a, that's a silly story, but, but the reality is what we believe... You know, teenagers, we, we, I believed, you know, I will never get in trouble. The police will never come for something ridiculous like that. I had newfound beliefs afterwards that resulted in newfound behaviors. Right? If we believe that Jesus is Lord, that he has said some things that relate to my life, that he says that we are to obey those things, then if you are a disciple, you will obey those things. And if you come across areas of your life and you're like, oh, that's a lot of disobedience. I had never considered the commands of God as it relates to my marriage. I had never considered the, the commands of God as it relates to my career. I had never considered the commands of God as it relates to my, my sense of entitlement. Once we come across those things, we need to bring those into alignment. The expectation of God is not that we go from sinner to perfect, but that we are constantly progressing in obedience. We, we want to follow him. And those who follow him really need to grow in their leadership. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, the apostle Paul is talking to Timothy. And he, he's really trying to, trying to establish some generational transfer. And when I say generational transfer, transfer uh, in, in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to his disciple Timothy because he, he thinks he's going to die soon. He's, he's in jail and he's, he's basically writing, these, these are my last notes to you. And, and he's trying to establish a standard that will continue after he's gone. It will continue, hopefully, after, after Timothy's gone. He's trying to con- con- create a legacy that, that goes on beyond any one person. And he says this, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that's verse one. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now let's think through this. He says, okay, I have trained you and I want you to take the things that I've trained you with and entrust them to individuals who will entrust them to other individuals. That's four generations. And he's saying, you need to be about the business of leading and, and developing leaders. Not just leading individuals who follow, but leading individuals who then lead other individuals. We as a church are big on leadership development. I mean, I'm the director of our Lead Well program. It's a leadership development program. Woo-woo! Uh, Shakia's in the back. She's like, yes. She's the coordinator. She's killing it, along with Anna Hansen. Uh, yeah, I'm just, everyone's involved. Um, I almost called him uncle, Pastor Jermaine. Uncle Jermaine. <laughs> My kids call him uncle, I don't call him uncle. Anyways, leadership development. Um, we have a program that we do, we try to help people in leadership development, but beyond that, we as a church, in, in every sphere that we have, in, AV, in the AV team, you have John Patton raising up leaders, not just teaching people to do stuff, turn knobs, but to be leaders. We have our, our, our setup and breakdown team where um, there, there are individuals being taught how to, how to just, how to lead. 
You know, Will Clendenin is, is, is teaching uh, another guy to lead. And, and if you want to be part of that team, we, we would love for you to be part of that team. All of the teams, but especially our teardown and setup team. Consider it, men. Heavily. Sign up after service. The man's right there. Um, we care about leadership development, not just because that's a, that's a, a cliche thing in our, in our culture, but because that's how legacy is established. Now, it's a different kind of leadership from the world. It's a servant leadership that sacrifices. It's a leadership that, that tries its best to be humble and love others and put others first. But it is a leadership in the sense that you are using the influence that God has given you and stewarding it for the purposes of God. And that doesn't just relate to our church. That relates to how you as believers and members of our church steward the leadership that you have in your families, in your, in your careers, in your communities. You've been made to be leaders, a leader of yourself, a leader of your family, a leader of, of whatever, you know, even if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's, you have the opportunity by your attitude, by your obedience, by your integrity to lead. He says, entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We want to lead others to lead others to follow God. And then finally, the last pillar that we want to talk about is family. It says in, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family or fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. And he goes on to say, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. Dot, dot, dot. And he says, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every fatherhood is named. When we think about family, really when we think about many of the institutions that we have, family, marriage, adoption, sometimes we think that these are things that God saw and he's like, you know what, I'm going to use that in my Bible to describe some things. And he does, but the reality is he created family to reflect something, not the other way around. It wasn't that family was created and he thought, oh, that reflects my character and nature really well. Let me use that to describe my character and nature. No, God's character and nature, God's character as, and his, his nature as being father and son and Holy Spirit in, in holy, happy, loving community, he wanted to reflect that in creation so he goes and he makes family. His love for his people before the foundations of the world, the Bible says that God loved his people, he reflects that in marriage. Christ's love for his people is reflected in a husband's love for his wife and a wife's love for her husband. Family reflects God in its best way. And it, here's the thing, it either reflects it well or it reflects it poorly. You can't get away from it. Husbands, we're on the hook. Either we're reflecting the love of God well or we're besmirching the name of God. Wives, same thing's true. Our, your, not our, uh, your love for your husband reflects either well or poorly the love of the church for her, her groom. Fathers, your, your love for your children either well or poorly reflects uh, God's love for um, his children. Beyond this, through the gospel, because of the gospel, as we talked about, the gospel is at the center. Through the gospel, we've been uh, adopted. It says in, in chapter five or chapter one, verse five, in love he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ. 
We've been prepared and, and predestined for adoption. God was, he was planning to make a family. This was not something he was like, oh, these poor souls, I look around and I see. Them. No, before he created you, he was thinking, I want you in my family. I'm gonna bring you into my family. You're gonna have to be outside my family because of your sin and disobedience, but I'm gonna bring you in by taking the one non-adopted child of mine, sacrificing that child so that I might bring and adopt these people. Family is important. How we do family matters, family. How we do earthly family matters because fathers, you are shaping your children's view of God. You don't, you don't get to not do that. I, I don't know how many conversations pastorally I've had with individuals where I'm asking about their struggles, their life situations, their, their issues, and it, it almost always boils down to, well, my dad was distant or wasn't in the picture or they were mean or they were harsh or they were great. And, and, and positively and negatively, our, our experience of our, our fathers, our, our fathering develops our view of God. To the point that some people, for me to say that God is father, is, it's offensive to them because they don't have a frame of reference for father except something very negative. How we do earthly family matters and how we do spiritual family matters. We just had a, a membership induction and part of what we were doing is we were saying that spiritual family matters. We're not just casually getting together and, and individualistically approaching God. We are in family. You see my junk, I see your junk. You see my, my sorrows, I see your sorrows. You see my joy, I see your joy. And we celebrate, we cry, we talk together. Church was never intended to be lived alone. It was never intended to be relegated to a Sunday morning experience. When the Bible talks about church, it talks about a people primarily, a body of believers, a corporate entity. You know, sometimes we really struggle with that because in America it's all about the individual. And God does save us personally, but much of the Bible when it talks about his people, it's talking about his corporate people. And much of the Bible when it talks about how we're to, to be, behave our ethics, it's talking about how we're to treat one another. Just go search in Google, Bible, quotation marks, one another. All of those texts refer to our love for other Christians, especially in the context of a local church body. Loving one another, caring for one another, being tenderhearted towards one another. Because all of this reflects the love of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Either it reflects it well or it reflects it poorly. And all of this, we, we have access to this idea of family because of the gospel, because our elder brother, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for our sins so that we might be adopted into his father's house, into his father's family. Family, we're building a church, we're building a congregation, we're building a family, we're being formed and shaped on the foundation of this gospel truth that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life that you and I didn't live, should have lived, couldn't live. He died on the cross defeating Satan's sin and death, rose again on the third day and offering eternal life to those who would put their faith in him. That's the foundation that we stand on. That's the, the gospel message that, that we've received, that we've believed, that we're standing on, that we're being saved by if we continue 
And because of that, there are implications. There are pillars that rise up. The pillar of lordship that we need to, we need to treat Jesus as Lord if he is Lord. Not just in word, but in deed. The, the pillar of evangelism that, that if he is our Lord, if he's the one who has saved us, if he's the one we get the, the opportunity and the pleasure of enjoying, then we will share that enjoyment with others. The pillar of, of discipleship that we are following someone. And when we, when we come into this relationship with Jesus, when we, we believe and receive this gospel message, we go from following ourselves and our own desires to following God and the new desires that he places in our soul. We follow the, the, the pillar of, of leadership development, which sounds a lot less biblical, but it's just as important as the other three, of, of looking around and realizing God wants to establish not just individuals, but legacy. He works through generations. There are people who prayed for people who prayed for people who prayed for you. There are prayers that were made in first century Judea that have ripple effects that have led to this because people were interested in leadership development. Call it whatever you want to call it. Call it legacy. Call it generational transfer. Call it something else if that makes it sound more biblical. But God cares about people leading other people toward God. And he cares about family. I'm, I'm, one of the, the stewardships that we have as a church is to, to protect this family to appreciate this family. Look at the people around you. These are your family. I mean, Jesus on the cross, he, he's so careful and, and caring about both spiritual and, and, and earthly family. He's dying, right? I don't know, I've got, a, um, I've got a splinter and it's really hard not to think about my splinter. Jesus is on the cross dying and he has what some might call some really big splinters and he looks down and sees his mother and sees John and he doesn't say, man, this hurts. No, he says, mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. He's saying, take care of her. On the cross, he cares about family and we should as well. He cares about family and we should as well. Family, we are being formed in something, into something amazing. I am... What a privilege I have to be able to be a part of this. I'm so thankful personally to be a part of what God is building here. And you have a privilege of being a part of what God is building here. It starts with the gospel. It never leaves the gospel. But we're building from the gospel. We're taking the things that God has said and what God has done and saying, okay, now what are we to do as a result? We're to follow him as Lord. We're to tell people about him. We're to follow him. We're to, we're to encourage other people to follow us as we follow him. Leadership. And we're to love others like family. These are the things that we're, we're doing and believing. And these are the things that I encourage you to join us in. Let's pray. God, I thank you that everything begins with your gospel. That we receive your son, Jesus, as our elder brother, as our Lord, as our discipler, as our leader. And you encourage us to, to take what you've done and as a result to do some things in our own life, to respond in obedience and faith. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as, as the one whom you trust, 
but you want to today, if you want to respond to this message, you want to hear that gospel and receive it, would you just raise your hand? Raising your hand isn't, isn't the receiving, but it allows me to see your response of faith and, and pray for you and pray with you. Okay. Well, Father, I pray that, that I, and I know that you're working on our, our hearts. Lord, would you allow us to make some decisions this morning to, to respond in faith in the areas that you're touching? whether it's, it's deciding, oh, I need to reach out to this person and, and, and share my good news with them, or it's I need to bring this area of my life into greater levels of, uh, you know, under your lordship, or, or I need to be a better disciple and follow and look, look at what that means. Read my Bible more to understand what it means to follow. Or I, need, I really need to, to, to find someone who can make me a better leader to, to steward this, this influence that I have well, or, or, or I need to love my family sacrificially like God has loved me sacrificially. And I need to bind myself to a spiritual body and love that family as well. I pray that God, you would, you would continue the work that you've begun in, in the hearts of the individuals here. And I thank you for your gospel that empowers us to do it all. Lord, change us and transform us. Change me, transform me. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.